welcome to a new era of Conversations with Consequences. We are the ladies of the Catholic Association, bringing you witty and charming in-depth conversation on the topics that matter to you with the leading thinkers and movers of our time. And you can catch us every Saturday at 5 p.m. Eastern on your favorite local EWTN affiliate, or you can find us on Sirius XM Satellite Radio Channel 130. I'm your hostess, Dr. Gracie Christie. Today marks our 100th show. That's a very big number, and I thank all our listeners for sticking with us, for recommending us to your friends. Uh, This is a labor of love, and it's wonderful that we have listeners that love us. We pray for you, and and we're always trying to, to bring you things, bring you peace, bring you thoughts, conversations that brighten your life and and point you to always better and brighter things. We today have a great show uh, lined up, as we always do. We have a Catholic filmmaker and actress, Roma Downey. She's going to tell us uh, about a new movie coming out that she produced called Resurrection. It's coming out on March 27th. It is about the resurrection. It's actually really wonderful and you're going to enjoy hearing about it. It's going to make you want to sit down and watch it with your family on March 27th. It's a really great movie, especially for uh, today's uh, uh, environment in which it's very difficult to find things um, on TV, on Netflix, <laughs> on whatever we're watching these days that is, that is not offensive, things that we can watch with our families. We also invited uh, David, Father David Pivanka. He's the president of Franciscan University, and he actually accompanied Pope Francis to that uh, landmark trip to Iraq. Uh, and he's going to tell us all about that. He has wonderful insights, especially about the, the life of Iraqi Christians and um, how the Pope's trip impacted them. Also today, we're going to get to know a brand new Catholic Association colleague. Her name is Lee Sneed, and she works at the University of Notre Dame, and she will have a lot to tell us about uh, issues and topics that are most affecting young Catholics, college-age Catholics, and uh, especially those who are really infused with with a desire to serve the Lord in this very secular world. And now we have Roma Downey joining us. She's an accomplished filmmaker who just finished production on a new movie called Resurrection. It premieres globally on Discovery Plus on March 27th, just in time for Holy Week. The film depicts the followers of Jesus after his death and before his resurrection, hunted and without a leader. They were desperately searching for understanding. But the resurrection of Jesus will help them realize that hope did not die on the cross. Good afternoon, Roma. Good afternoon. Roma, I just finished watching Resurrection. I was, I got, of course, a sneak peek so that I could talk to you about the movie, and I was so impressed. What a wonderful movie to watch uh, during Lent and leading into Holy Week. Thank you. Yes, we thought that this would be the perfect timing uh, to, to tell this incredible story. And particularly, I think, after the year that we've all just come through uh, with the pandemic, um, we were eager to to put this together to create a story of hope um, that could um, that could play in people's lives. I think we need hope now more than ever. It's been such a challenging year, hasn't it? Yes, I agree. And I, I was thinking the same thing as I was watching the movie because, you know, the, the time frame that the movie um, 
uh, depicts, which is it, it includes scenes from the Passion of Jesus and then the resurrection, the the time in between, right, from his death to his resurrection. Um, that time is not. I I haven't spent a lot of time thinking myself or or praying, uh, uh, trying to trying to uh, understand the the depth of despair that the the apostles were feeling um, after seeing. I can only imagine, right? Mm-hmm. They they'd seen their beloved teacher, their Lord, um, uh, arrested and uh, so unjustly um, tried and and murdered, and um, and they had scattered, hadn't they? You know, we we know from Scripture that only John, the beloved, and um, Jesus' mother Mary and Mary Magdalene were the only. Um, followers at the foot of the cross and so the others had scattered presumably out of fear um, and fear for their own safety and um, and so unlike other movies um, of this genre um, that that get more into the passion of Christ uh, we did so ourselves with our last film uh, Son of God uh, which really told the story of uh, Jesus' ministry and um, and his passion. But um, this film picks the story up um, right, you know, it begins at the crucifixion. And, uh, and really we're following, we tell the story from the point of view of these disciples. And, um, you know, in that first few days before the resurrection, they're filled with, with fear, they're confused, they're uncertain, you know, I'm sure they were doubting, you know, they wanted to believe that he would come back as he said he would, but what if he didn't, you know? Um, the film, uh, in the film, Roma, the, that, that fear, the confusion, the frustration, the sadness, the despair is all very, it's very vividly portrayed in a way that you can really enter into as, as a fellow human being. Yeah. It makes the apostles well, very think, close. You know, Yes, I think you're right. And, and, you know, what we hoped to achieve, and I believe we did achieve, was that we hoped that an audience would see the film and and see ourselves in the characters, you know. It's their humanity, I think, that, and their frailty uh, is so relatable, you know. Um, and then contrast that with their joy and their <laughs> elation um, when... Uh, of course, Jesus does rise and returns to them, and there, you know, and the, and then you know he he promises after he has, after the ascension that he will send the Holy Spirit to them, and again they're not quite sure what that means, what that will look like, what what will happen, and in an extraordinary scene, um, which I hope you enjoyed, of the of. You know the the Pentecostal scene mm-hmm. when the Holy Spirit does arrive, and they you know when we cut to the the townspeople on the street below the upper room, looking up at this room that's positively glowing mm-hmm. uh, and vibrating with the spirit, and then and then we see them spilling out onto the stairs, and now they're just full of God, full of spirit, and speaking in tongues, and emboldened in their faith, and ready to preach the gospel. And in, in that sort of very exciting ending, I love how we've been able to remind the audience 
that it started, what started with a handful of people, um, brave, courageous people, is now uh, two, over two billion Christians in the world, you know, and that's, um, I, you know, I, I hope the film left you feeling strong and, you know, and, uh, and emboldened yourself. It, well, it did. And as you mentioned in the beginning, when we first started talking about this hard year, and a lot of the difficulty of the year hasn't just been COVID, it's also been the the terrible political difficulties which we've all encountered, um, divisions in the country, divisions in our communities, divisions in our families even, and how many of us, including me, we've felt um, lack of hope. Uh, that we can move forward in a way that's that's unified and and, and full of peace and, and brotherhood, and it, it was a wonderful thing to watch the movie and then see how the Holy Spirit unites and and creates um, the communities of love, and that is something that accompanies accompanies us to this day just as vividly as it accompanied the first Christians. Hmm. I think that's a. Uh um, um, a marvelous uh, takeaway, and uh, and it is. It does serve as a great reminder. Um, you know, you made me you made me think there of uh, of my own childhood. You know, I grew up in Northern Ireland, and uh, uh, during a period of time uh, known as the Troubles over there, it was uh, we saw a lot of violence and uh, division, and um, uh, thankfully, you know, we we learned how to get along you know it's uh, it, and it required everybody sitting down together and a real dialogue and i think that's you know something that's that's gotten lost a little bit you know that it's okay we can disagree with each other but it doesn't mean we have to hate each other um but i i also remember as a child uh looking forward to easter every year and gathering around the television with my family and we would watch, um, you know, the Easter offering. And back then, it was probably the greatest story ever told um, with, the, with the film. It's a very old, mm-hmm. old film. Yeah, I you know. It. The story was Max von Sydow playing, wonderfully playing Jesus. Um, but I have such strong memories of that. And I'm hoping that, um, that with Resurrection now being available on television, uh, on Discovery Plus, that uh, that perhaps this year will be the first year of a new tradition for families where they will sit at Easter. And while we all appreciate the Easter bunny, <laughs> and we all <laughs> whoever he is <laughs> um, getting our Easter eggs, um, we you know I think it's important that and that families you know that we remind our 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 families our kids uh, you know the true meaning of Easter and um, you know and the and the love um, that that Jesus um, showed to us by dying for us and then rising again uh, to give us, you know, hope and so that we don't have to be afraid. And, um, you know, it is just such a extraordinary story. Um, I, I, my whole life, have really been a visual learner. I always joke that everything I know I learned from the movies. <laughs> um, and if I've seen it... You know, if I've seen it, it sticks in my memory better than if I've read it, you know. And um, and it has been just a marvelous privilege to have been able to, to, to put visuals to this, you know, beautiful um, story, our story of our faith, the, the crux of our faith. 
and you know to have cast it and to have you know to seen the wonderful costumier we hired create these beautiful you know costumes textures rich and and uh, and ancient looking and we had over 500 work workers um, working round the clock for five or six weeks to build us the Jewish temple to build us the city of Jerusalem to build these streets into which we placed actors and extras and camels and horses and donkeys and goats and chickens and and um, you know marketplace and suddenly it's brimming with life and you know to see you know it takes a village of course to to make a film and uh, and we had such incredible craftspeople working on this and you know marvelous performances and when it all comes together um, you know it's it's so extraordinary and exciting and you know we we're just so pleased that that we were able to get it um in time for easter this year and and um you know we're just um you know we're just really grateful um that that it's that it's going to be on i'm like just filled with joy that it's going <laughs> to be on and um uh i'm so glad that you enjoyed it um uh, did you have a particular scene that was your favorite scene? Um, you know, there were there were many scenes that I liked. One scene that struck me very much was a scene with Th- with Thomas, with the Apostle Thomas, because when he comes back to the room, when he comes back to Jerusalem, and uh, the the apostles turned the other apostles turned to him and said said We've seen the Lord, <laughs> and he. His reaction is one which um, I identify with very much. That he felt he was being ridiculed. And one of the great fears that all of us have, me included, is fear of being made fun of, fear of being singled out for, for ridicule. And I thought that was so human. And then the way that Jesus embraced him and, and let he didn't let Tom's pride and, and fear of being singled out interfere with the giving of his mercy. It is. It's. Um, it is a uh, a beautiful uh, moment, and again, a moment that we that we can all kind of relate to, um, you know. And then when Jesus says to him, you know, uh, that you know you you've seen and now you believe, but blessed are those who haven't seen and yet believe, mm-hmm. which is all of us. Right? It's all of us. That's right. All of us. Yeah. You know, the, ever since uh, this first, ever since the story actually happened in, in history, we've been recreating it and retelling it and, and, and re, reimagining it. And it never, gets, it never gets old. It never gets tired because it is the central story of human existence, of salvation history. It's the central drama that our eyes have to be fixed on all the time. And it's wonderful that, that people like you um, make that beautiful effort to represent it to us in, in a way that we can engage with it yet again and find new lights. Yes, and then go back, you know, I, I, my experience working on these projects, um, the Bible series, Son of God, AD, and now Resurrection, is that um, f- filled and informed by the images that um, have been created on film, uh, when I go back into the Bible to read, that the scripture comes to life in a different way, you know, sort of informed with the images. Um, 
and it just makes it seem real, even though they're actors, you know, I know that, but it just brings the, it brings the narrative, you know, alive in a different way. And, uh, or, you know, and I, I really uh, and, uh, have enjoyed, have enjoyed that. If you're just joining us, this is Dr. Gracie Christie, and this is Conversations with Consequences. We're talking to Roma Downey about her new movie, Resurrection, coming out at the end of the month, perfectly timed for Holy Week and the Easter season. Roma, I have to remind my listeners of who exactly you are. Um, your work has d- drawn tremendous acclaim, and so many viewers. The Bible miniseries earned three primetime Emmy nominations and drew more than 100 million viewers over its 10 weeks run on history in 2013. Um, The series birthed a future film adaptation called Son of God, which became one of the highest faith movie openings of all time when it debuted in 2014, and also the successful sequel miniseries AD, which I enjoyed very much, my whole family did. Um, The Bible Continues premiered on NBC the following year. So you have made um, a real splash in this in this very particular kind, uh, this very particular space in the in movie making, which isn't large, uh, I don't think, compared to the rest of Hollywood, but draws tremendous attention and interest and fervor from a very large audience. Yes, well, it has been um, my privilege, really, as a believer, to be able to combine what I do with what I believe and to, um, along with my husband, Mark Burnett, to be able to produce um, these quality uh, biblical dramas. Um, my a production company, Lightworkers, uh, under the banner under which we produced all of those projects, is committed to telling uh, stories that inspire and uplift and encourage and bring hope. Um, we have a very strong uh, social following, and uh, we've we've seen that grow enormously, uh, really over the past year. Also, and I think it's just that people, you know, uh, people are are fed up with all the negativity, mm-hmm. and um, you know, and they like to know that there's somewhere they can go, uh, and somewhere they can trust that um, that the content, you know, has been intentionally and mindfully uh, programmed um, to, you know, as I say, to uplift. Our our mantra over here is that it's better to light a candle than curse the darkness. (laughs) And so we like to think of all the the projects that we produce as, as, you know, that we've lit a candle in some way. And uh, You know, these days, Roma, we hear a lot about... We hear a lot about safe spaces, but in Hollywood, there aren't a lot of safe spaces for people. I mean, people across the country, across the world, they need entertainment and, and their, as, as part of their, um, you know, their regular weekly lives. And it's very hard to find something that is uh, reverent and clean and wholesome and you can watch no, with your family. I mean, I, I, I for many years uh, before I, I donned my producing hat, I um, myself was a, a, a an actor. I, I, I'm uh, was an actor. I guess I still am an actor. <laughs> but I um, uh, but I had a very long, uh, successful run on a CBS drama called Touched by an Angel. Oh yes. And uh, and I played the angel Monica, opposite uh, the fabulous Della Reese, who played the role of Tess. Of and, course. Um, 
we were a couple of uh, undercover angels each week. We'd show up in the lives of someone who had a challenge of some sort. And uh, midway through the, the episode, the person would, would, you know, metaphorically fall to their knees mm-hmm. and, and ask for help. And then at that point, I was able to reveal that I wasn't actually a school teacher or uh, or a radio host or whatever <laughs> I was pretending to be. I was an angel and I had been sent by the Almighty and I had a, a message and the message was always the same. And that is that there is a God and that he loves you and he wants to be part of your life. And, you know, at its height, over 25 million people would tune in every Sunday and I know they tuned in because that was the message that they needed and that was the message that they wanted and that was the message that they got. And Touched by an Angel was a show that you could sit down with your family mm-hmm. and you didn't have to keep your finger poised on the remote control because you knew it would reflect the values, um, you know, that you shared. It was like a, it was a show about goodness and kindness and it didn't shy away from social pertinent issues. Um, nor did it create a, a fairy wand to magically make mm-hmm. things okay. It was really um, just to remind the people that we're not alone, you know, and it's like we, and and we are not alone, you know, and so in a different way, Resurrection, the Easter movie, is reminding people again, you know, it's the reminder of the stories, you know, and for people, you know, maybe people that aren't as deeply into their faith you know they're they it's a it's just a great way to remind them that that we are loved um because this is the greatest love story you know i mean look what jesus did for us it's extraordinary that he loved us that much and when we see those disciples i mean particularly peter maybe who's feeling guilt or shame uh, at having denied jesus and having run away um, you know, and yet when he's finally reunited with the risen Lord, you know, um, Jesus loves him three times, you know, asks him three times. And it's almost like reparation for the three times that Peter denied him. It gives Peter the opportunity to heal right there. And, you know, that's grace in action, isn't it? <laughs> um, um, but, uh, um, we, you know, I think that that the the, the finale of of the the, the movie too, the, those final moments, um, you know, to be reminded that there are so many of us that we belong to a very large family. There are over two billion of us. That's right. Um, uh, you know, and that's uh, a great feeling. I think you know, and it's one that's good to be reminded of. Because, you know, as we, 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 we touched on earlier, when we focus on our differences, when we focus on the things that separate us, the things that divide us, the things that we don't like about each other, you know, that's not healthy. And, um, you know, we, when we can be reminded of all the things that connect each of us one to the other, uh, you know, and at the very basis here for the Christian family, it's like, uh, you know, that we share a love of God and a love of Jesus and um, and that the Holy Spirit, which has promised 
to these disciples is promised to us as well and available to us as well. And, um, you know, when I worked on Touch by an Angel with Della, who was also a, a Christian, she and I would hold hands before we would do that revelation scene, and we would pray together. And our prayer was always very simple, but we would pray, less of me, more of you. Less of me, more of you. And just to, really, I just tried to learn to get out of the way so that I could be used, you know, could be a catalyst. And, and I've, I've kept that prayer in my heart as I've produced these projects. I had that prayer in my heart as we set about putting the film Resurrection together, um, you know, and we really did that because of the, of the year that everybody has come through. We thought, wouldn't it be great if, if we were able to shape and craft uh, resurrection of film, a 90 minutes. It's like a uh, a good, you know, a good length for a film that families could gather around this Easter and just to be reminded of the greatest story of hope ever told. Well, you've done a wonderful job yet again, Roma, and I know that um, the world is a better place for your films. Families are better for your films, and also just the whole Christian family, as you mentioned, that all of us um, have to keep holding on to God and to each other and getting through these hard times. So thank you very much for joining me today. Um, I know you have a, a book coming out soon called Box of Butterflies. We didn't get to talk about it, but maybe you'll come back again and tell us all about yeah. your, your new book when you get a chance. I, I will. It's a, it's a lovely spiritual memoir. And... Um, uh, You know, I wrote it again, hoping that it might be a blessing, that it would be a blessing for someone. And um, uh, yes, thank you. Thank you for mentioning it. Um, And it's been lovely talking to you. I really, really have enjoyed our conversation. And um, I wish you, you know, as we finish up the Lenten season and head in, you know, it'll be Easter before you know it. I wish you a a happy Easter season. Thank you very much, Roma. You go with our prayers and our listeners remember to check out Resurrection on Discovery Plus. It comes out March 27th and for more information you can go to discoveryplus.com. Thank you, Roma, and blessings for you and your family. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Every morning, the Catholic Association reviews all the latest news and sends our subscribers a carefully curated collection of the most important news of the day. Items are specifically selected for a smart Catholic audience like you. Don't let the world take you by surprise. Subscribe to our daily media roundup at thecatholicassociation.org. Back to Conversations with Consequences. I'm your hostess, Dr. Gracie Christie, and we've invited Father David Pivanka. He's the fearless leader of Franciscan University, and he's fresh back from Iraq, where he traveled with the Holy Father. But first, I want to introduce a new member of the Catholic Association team. Her name is Lee Sneed, and she just joined the Catholic Association, and we are having her on the show for the first time. Uh, Welcome to the show, Lee. Hi, thank you, Gracie, and uh, congratulations on 100 episodes. Oh, that's right. 
Yes, today is our 100th episode, which really is amazing. When I first started this radio show 100 episodes ago, which I guess was 100 weeks ago because we've done one a week, the people who were helping us um, to sort of to train us in how to do a radio show, they said, once you've done it 100 times, you're going to feel much more comfortable. And I have wow. to say... <laughs> I was like, a hundred times? <laughs> that sounds like the end of the world. But, right. But it, you are. It, it went fast, and it's true that I feel much more comfortable. It's still not easy. It's not easy to to do a radio show. I have a lot of respect now. Whenever I turn on the radio now, I'm, I'm driving in my car, I turn on the radio, and I think, wow, that person's so professional. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think they could probably get some tips from you, too. But yeah, oh I didn't gosh. wonder that anyone can stay on the radio for several hours at a time. Right? It's, it's a, amazing. A snack. Yeah. Amazing that they have. And, and also what I like is the way people connect with their listeners. Because I feel that when I'm listening to some shows, I'm, I'm connecting with the person. I feel that somehow we are aligned in some way. And, and I, I, wonder, I wonder if that happens on my show, I hope. Well, it happened, it <laughs> happened with me when I listened to you before I was a guest on it. So I hope I think it'll probably happen with other people too. Um, your conversational style and the friendliness and cheerfulness—it's it's great. And plus the great combination of guests. I actually just listened to your show with Ryan Anderson last weekend. Oh, that was a great show. That was he's a good so show. he's such a smart person. And you know, I'm really glad if Amazon decided to throw someone in the waste in the waste can. I'm, I'm glad it was Ryan Anderson because he's smart and savvy and can defend himself and and has the platform. To, to make it known to the world this this craziness of the mm -hmm. world's greatest bookseller deciding what we can read and what we can't read. Absolutely. And anyone who's like spoken to Ryan or I think even just listening to him passively, he's just so kind and loving and to marginalize him into you know some sort of hate monger is is just it's so it's just not ryan but like you say he's smart and he's savvy and he's the one that's going to be able to uh to handle this in a in a productive way hopefully moving forward yeah well lee you're on to tell us about yourself so why don't you tell us uh so we know you've done a lot of writing and you've been featured at notre dame's vita institute and you've worked with notre dame's center for ethics and culture so you bring a lot of experience and thought on a number of very important topics so what do you look forward to doing with the catholic association well, with my those two um, uh, things that you just listed, Gracie, were pretty limited. In fact, I and I worked actually at the center because you know my husband currently runs it. I worked there before he was in charge of it, and then I think maybe four or five months after I started, my twins arrived. So that was the end of that. <laughs> but I did a lot of um, women sort of lifestyle writing for Alatea. and you know things that touched on touched on some of our Catholic culture, but not so deeply and it was actually uh ashley mcguire of the catholic association that got me writing in the first place i wrote for her um for her online magazines back in the day when she had them and but i'm really looking forward to working especially after the last year or so and you know i think we're all suffering from some political fatigue to just diving deep into into cultural issues um and obviously it's going to touch on policy and you know it's going to weigh the politics too but in for my own mind i was so exhausted with this sort of just a state of things generally speaking and on top of the pandemic and i just was thinking that i need to just concentrate on what i'm doing at home with my own family and my own self and my own soul and everything and it was sort of when I had sort of settled into that, that I was approached for this opportunity to engage the culture and more, you know, the same same sort of sentiments, but at a wider audience and more impact. And 
especially working um, with some outreach to college-aged women, I'm just, I'm just, it was, it was just the perfect, the perfect situation at the perfect time, perfect opportunity, and I'm. I've just always admired the Catholic Association, and I can't believe I get to be a, a part of it with you guys. We, at the Catholic Association, we're very conscious that the future belongs to the young, and and that we have to be able to transmit the beauties of our Catholic culture uh, to the young in an effective way so that they can carry the torch. And you particularly uh, can help us with this because you're at Notre Dame, you're very connected uh, that way to to the people to to young people who who really are our hope and and, mm-hmm. and the people that we can depend on with you know young people are very full of of uh, enthusiasm and and also courage a special kind of courage that that that, leaves, that leaves us as we get older absolutely i'm i'm constantly awed and impressed with um with the young people I come into contact with through the university and through the Center for Ethics and Culture, um, you know, oftentimes they are, you know, they'll, I meet them because they'll babysit for me or something, but they, what they've got going on in their own personal and budding professional lives, is just incredible. And they're so inspiring and they look at things in a different way. Um, And I, I think that you can be, you can be discouraged if you're only reading sort of news about younger people in, you know, big, big, uh, magazines or um in other popular culture but when you meet them face to face it's like wow these people are really they're really they're doing it and they're going to do more that's so hopeful right that these very, that very wonderful, wonderful young people exist many more than what we see on tv <laughs> mm-hmm, absolutely well i'm really yeah. excited that you joined the team lee oh, and i really you. look forward to working with you and getting to know you better absolutely me too same i'm very very excited well thank you for joining us today on conversations lee all right thank you If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Conversations with Consequences on EWTN Radio. I'm your hostess, Dr. Gracie Christie, and we now have Father David Pivanka with us. He's the fearless leader of Franciscan University, and he's fresh back from Iraq, where he traveled with the Holy Father. Welcome to the show, Father. Thank you. It's my pleasure to be with you, Gracie. So you know, it's hard to imagine uh, the kind of trip that you just uh, that you just had, and not only the the privilege of traveling with Pope Francis, and and how exciting that must be, and how different from most of our experiences of our listeners and mine, of course, um, but also of such a historic opportunity of this first trip of of a pontiff to Iraq. Oh, it was um, to be invited, and just I, I was just at the last day since some of the time with Holy Father on the last day. It was just you can't imagine uh, how moving and how powerful it was. I've been to probably honestly fifty papal audiences. Uh, there was nothing like this. The the what the people of Iraq, what the Christian community of Iraq has suffered, uh, and what they've had to endure what it meant for their father. I mean, that's really, the Holy Father came to them as their father and what it meant that he visited them, he spent time with them, he listened to their story. He he didn't just reach out to them through a letter, he came and was with them. And we cannot, we cannot imagine how powerful that was for that community. Father, as I get older and I and I experience, I learn more and I experience um, a, a more deeper connection with people it becomes more and more apparent to me that it's the the physical presence of of one person in another person's life that really communicates love. Is that what the people in Iraq were feeling? 
you've heard that perfectly sums it, sums it up is it's one thing to say for the Holy Father, you know, I'm praying for the community in Iraq. It's another thing for him to go there, even with, with the danger that was involved in that. The Holy Father gave a talk in Mosul at the very place where ISIS threatened his life, said that they were going to kill the Pope, cut off his head, and bring it to this place. <laughs> the Holy Father went to that very place with the, the church destroyed and ruins around him, and he stood and he gave a talk there that was just, again, for us, it was moving. For the people who were there, the, one woman said, I could not imagine I was ever going to be able to come back here. The thought of the Pope being here with me, she said, that's more than I could possibly have dreamt up. And it was... One of the one of the more moving images I think I've ever seen it was just beautiful. When I was a little girl and growing up in Mexico, the Pope St. John Paul II visited Guadalajara, where I lived, and he passed by our almost a stone's throw from my house. And I felt after that, there was so much enthusiasm and fervor and that, that presence, that, that feeling of truly being loved, loved so much that he would visit us. And I felt that that street afterwards always had this special magic for me because it had held the pontiff. Do you think that the Iraqi people are feeling that special? that special magic that, uh, that he was there? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, the, the, the Holy Father went down the boulevards and, and they're going to be able to remember and say, you know, we watched the Pope come. It was interesting actually going to the, the, the closing liturgy in our bill. We were going down the roads and there was already, we were probably three or four hours before the Pope was going to come. There were already people gathered all along the way. Largely, interestingly, the Muslim community. The Muslim community lined up and waited in anticipation of being able to see the Holy Father. And that was something that was was quite moving as well. Um, obviously, the Holy Father was, was there for primarily the Christian community and to be a support and witness to them. But the Muslim community experienced that as well. Do you think of, even for the Muslims there that the Pope is a symbol of, of, of decency, of, of, of an embracing concern and charity? I would say to a population of them, that would be accurate. Mm -hmm. What a moving thing. Yeah. Well, and just that, that, that they recognize as well that him coming there was significant, was significant. I think one of the images as well as the Holy Father meeting with the Ayatollah there, you know, in a very simple room, honestly, two elderly men just sitting down and talking. I mean, if we pay attention to the Holy Father's pontificate, he's always spoken about reaching out to those in the margins. And mm -hmm. this is this is a community, I, I was talking with the Archbishop of Erbil before the Holy Father, uh, actually right before his flight landed, And I said, what, how will you determine if this is a success? And he said, it's already a success. The world is talking about Christianity in Iraq. He said, that simply has never been the case before. So he said, it's already been a success. I know that there was some concern or fear that, that the Pope's visit would maybe be, the idea of the Pope's visit might be misused or hijacked um, To, to promote ideas or thoughts that weren't exactly what, what the Pope wanted. Do you think that that happened, or do you think it was a full success all around? Yeah, it's, you know, I, I don't know that I can make an, an assertion just across the board. Let me say that what the Holy Father spoke of and how he spoke resonated with the local community, you know. Um, we're talking about to, to many of the priests. And again, this is a community that suffered greatly. There wasn't a family I met that in one way or another didn't have a family member who were refugees mm -hmm. or, you know, martyred. And and I asked them, 
you know, what, how, how you will determine whether or not this is a success for you. And it's a question that I asked everybody, you know, what does it mean that the Pope is here for you? And one of them said that the Pope is coming not mere, merely to a land, but he's coming to a people. And that they said that the, the talks that he was given, the speeches, they said, well, this was before the Holy Father came, they said he can't just come and say, we need to get along. We need unity. He said, we are a church that has suffered greatly, and, and he needs to be able to address that and talk about that. I was so so proud of the Holy Father and, and how bold he was in the proclamation of the faith. I mean, one of the things that he's consistently said from the beginning of his pontificate, and that is the primacy of Jesus. And um, he's he was able to express that, and, and the way the land is going to be healed is by by Jesus, and he's bring peace and healing and restoration, and it was really powerful. That is powerful. It's especially in the face of, of I mean, and, and with the fact that he also spoke very strongly about the shared heritage. I know that when he was at, in the plain of Ur, Ur, if I, I'm not pronouncing it right, which, which is the ancient site that it's believed to be the birthplace of Abraham, that he emphasized the shared heritage of the Christians and Muslims and the Jews, and also took part in in an interreligious meeting. So he was able to to make that to strike that beautiful balance, right, between emphasizing shared heritages and also Absolutely. holding up the primacy of Jesus. Absolutely. Absolutely. He did it beautifully. In, in, in a very, yeah, I can't imagine... The uh, pressure that was he was under, and he just handled it with such grace. It was really quite quite moving. And what about physical danger? Do you think the Pope was in in danger from from attack at any point? Well, you know, there was obviously threats that were made. My understanding is there was about ten thousand people that were uh, supporting his trip there and making sure that, wow. that he was safe. Um, you know, so I don't know all that went on in the background, but, you know, as, as was the case before he went, uh, there were people in the government, there were people in the Vatican who were saying, Holy Father, you should probably wait, you should probably go later. You know, when it's safer, when there's less strife, when there's less COVID. But the Holy Father made it clear from the beginning that he was determined to go, even when everyone around him was saying that he shouldn't. Uh, he was following through with what St. John Paul wanted to go there, but because of the war, he wasn't able to go. Uh, so it was very, very clear that the Holy Father was going to go and be with the people there. One of the places he visited, I remembered from the terrible attack that took place at the, I feel like the images are seared in my brain. It was, it was a Syriac Catholic cathedral of Our Lady of Salvation that was, um, that was hit by terrorists in 2010, and nearly 50 people lost their lives. Regular church-going Catholics who just happened to be there at that time. Yeah, and that's, that's the thing I, I was reflecting on. You know, we... Jesus talks about losing your life, and, and we use that metaphorically, you know, I'm going to lose my life. That's, that's not a metaphor for it's those not. people. Mm-hmm. Everybody there knows, knows priests, knows friends, knows family members who literally died. I mean, it's, it's a, it was very, very humbling uh, to, to be with them. We use the word discipleship, which we should, and, and, I, and I don't want to dismiss the fact that, that we have suffering uh, which we do. I, so I don't want to be dismissive at all. But theirs is, is quite different, quite different. 
Well, Father, we are sadly out of time, but thank you for sharing your experiences with us. I think all of us were moved when Pope Francis visited Iraq and, and are moved even more now hearing um, how he was welcomed by the people there. Oh, it was a blessing to be able to be there. Thank you so much. Every morning, the Catholic Association reviews all the latest news and sends our subscribers a carefully curated collection of the most important news of the day. Items are specifically selected for a smart Catholic audience like you. Don't let the world take you by surprise. Subscribe to our daily media roundup at thecatholicassociation.org. And now, Father Roger Landry offers us, as is customary, a short and inspiring homily to prepare us for this Sunday's Gospel. This is Father Roger Landry, and it's a privilege to join you again and ponder with you the consequential conversation Jesus wants to have with us in the Gospel this Sunday, the fifth Sunday of Lent, which occurs after some Greeks approached the Apostle Philip, saying, We wish to see Jesus. Philip went to Andrew, and Andrew went to tell the Lord. Jesus' response to the Greeks' desire to see him is not just surprising, but shocking. He announced that they would see him glorified but glorified not in the way everyone might have expected as the long-awaited Messiah and exalted civil leader, not like he was during the transfiguration or he will be at the end of time. No, Jesus said that they would see him glorified when he would be lifted up from the earth and the cross, when he would fall like a grain of wheat to the ground and die before being raised as the new tree of life. To see Jesus and find him, we need to be prepared to seek him in humility on the cross and to see him enduringly We must be prepared to follow him. He tells us, whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be. To find him, we must follow him along the path of the grain of wheat, the path of losing our life so as to gain it. We must deny ourselves rather than affirm ourselves, pick up our cross and die to ourselves on it, in order to follow Jesus to real, fruitful, unending life. This second point about our going the way of the grain of wheat may be just as shocking as Jesus going that way. But this is the essence of love and of, indeed of human life itself, as Pope Benedict taught us 15 years ago in his beautiful encyclical on the love of God. Let's listen to some deep words of our former Holy Father. He told us love is a journey, an ongoing exodus, out of the closed, inward-looking self toward its liberation through self-giving, and thus toward authentic self-discovery and indeed the discovery of God. Whoever seeks to gain his life will lose it, but whoever loses life will preserve it, as Jesus says throughout the Gospels. In these words, Pope Benedict continues, Jesus portrays his own path, which leads through the cross to the resurrection, the path of the grain of wheat that falls to the ground and dies, and in this way bears much fruit. Starting from the depths of his own sacrifice and of the love that reaches fulfillment therein, he portrays in these words, Pope Benedict concludes, the essence of love and indeed of human life itself. The new and eternal covenant that Jesus himself establishes, we can say, the new Passover in which Jesus wants to lead us, is this exodus from looking at ourselves to freedom through self-giving, the discovery of God and authentic self-discovery. We'll only see God, we'll only find our life when we leave our self-centeredness behind, when we stop trying to preserve our life in the rearview mirror and rather learn to give our life as a grain of wheat, dying to ourselves in order to be a great fruit for God and others. This is the only path, Pope Benedict told us, to the discovery of God and to the true discovery of who we are. 
So the first application of the gospel this Sunday is to ourselves who wish to see Jesus and love him in this world and forever in the next. In order to do that, we need to travel an exodus from saving our life to losing it, from looking at ourselves in spiritual navel-gazing, to looking toward God and others and giving of ourselves in loving sacrifice. This needs to occur first in our prayer, which we lose our lives and our time with God in order to anticipate eternity. This exodus also needs to occur in our almsgiving, We're called to die to our obsession with our own interests and begin to see Jesus in others, especially in those who are hungry, thirsty, strangers, naked, ill, in prison, or otherwise needy. This exodus needs to occur, too, in our moral life as we pass over from saying, My will be done to Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And all parts of that exodus are made possible through our fasting when we learn to say no to the inward-looking self so that we may make the journey out of ourselves toward God and others. That's the first great lesson we learn from our conversation with Jesus this Sunday. The second is about bringing others to Jesus. So many people today, like the Greeks in the Gospel, still want to see Jesus. They look to Christians, to those in the church, like the Greeks look to Philip, to try to bring them to Jesus. We need to be ready not only to assist them in coming to the Lord, but as a community to help them find him. The truth is that there are many who are longing for Jesus, but they don't find him where they think they should. They don't find him in the lives of the Catholics they know, or in the Catholic churches they visit. They don't find his truth and word, his infectious love, his joy, his light, his life. There's the famous saying of Mahatma Gandhi, the nonviolent liberator of India in the 20th century. He was fascinated by Jesus, whom he said taught like no one else. He would quote the words of Christ often, especially from the Sermon on the Mount. Once an Anglican missionary, Stanley Jones, asked him, Mr. Gandhi, you, though you quote the words of Christ often, why is it that you appear so adamantly to reject becoming his follower? And Gandhi replied, Oh, I don't reject Christ. I love Christ. It's just that so many of you Christians are so unlike Christ. If Christians would really live according to the teaching of Christ as found in the Bible, all of India would be Christian today. Those are stunning words. Friedrich Nietzsche, who coined the phrase, God is dead and if he weren't, would have to kill him, and whose thoughts were one of the seeds of Nazism, said something far more severe. He said, I may have been able to believe in a redeemer if I had ever met someone redeemed. He just didn't see the Christians he knew in Germany in the 19th century living like Christ. And the fathers of the Second Vatican Council and the Pastoral Constitution and the Church in the Modern World, Gaudium et Spes, pondered this point when they said, Believers can have more than a little to do with the birth of atheism. To the extent that they neglect their own training in the faith or teach erroneous doctrine or are deficient in their religious, moral, or social life, they must be said to conceal rather than reveal the authentic face of God and religion. The point is that people are looking to see Jesus and expecting to find him in those who call themselves his followers. But often, sadly, they search in vain. Jesus wants to change that. Jesus, who calls us to follow him along the path of the grain of wheat, along the way of glory of the crucifixion, wants people to be able to hear him in the way we talk, see him in the way we act, touch him in the way we care, taste him by tasting and seeing his goodness in his mystical body and smell him by the fragrance of true holiness of life. The greatest way of all we find Jesus in the world we know 
is his real presence in the Holy Eucharist. That's what we're preparing for this Sunday. Jesus is the grain of wheat who dies, but from that lifeless grain that fell along the way of the cross has become the great multiplication of the bread of life that will endure until the end of time. It's in the Eucharist that Jesus continues to be glorified in self-giving love. It's in the Eucharist that those wishing to see Jesus find him and are transformed by him to be sent forth as grains of wheat to be planted throughout the world so that changed by true Christian love, they may become his hands, his feet, his, his heart, his face, drawing everyone onto his path, onto the exodus that leads to eternal life. This is, as Pope Benedict reminds us, the essence of love and indeed human life itself. God bless you. Thank you, Father Landry. To hear more from Father Landry, check out his website at catholicpreaching.com. Listen to us every Saturday at 5 p.m. on your EWTN local affiliate or on Sirius Channel 130. You can also listen to this show as a podcast at thecatholicassociation.org slash podcasts. I hope that our listeners will be inspired to to a prayer that we think should very much be highlighted during Lent, and it's the Litany of Humility. I hope that our listeners will be inspired to, to pray it during this Lent and allow all of our hearts to be transformed by the beautiful words. O Jesus, meek and humble of heart, hear me. From the desire of being praised, deliver me, O Jesus. From the desire of being preferred to others, deliver me, O Jesus. From the desire of being consulted, from the desire of being approved, from the fear of being humiliated, from the fear of being despised, from the fear of suffering rebukes, from the fear of being calumniated, from the fear of being forgotten, from the fear of being ridiculed, from the fear of being wronged, from the fear of being suspected, deliver me, O Jesus, that others may be loved more than I. Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it that others may be esteemed more than I. Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it, that, in the opinion of the world, others may increase and I may decrease, that others may be chosen and I set aside, that others may be praised and I go unnoticed, that others may be preferred to me in everything, that others may become holier than I, provided that I may become as holy as I should. Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it. Amen.